You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Trying to keep my mask away from like microphones. I think that'll probably defeat the purpose if I laid it on a microphone. Hey, uh, just before I get started sharing the word with you, I just want to, I want to share my heart really briefly, um, I guess before I share my heart again, but I've been praying a lot uh, for our church this week and for our city and our nation, and how many of you know that um, we need some prayer around the world, amen? And uh, I've been able to start meeting with people again. It's been a a hard season. Uh, If you're a relational person, you know what I'm talking about. It's been a tough season because we're kind of in a relational deficit it's already a unique season in Phoenix um, because I'm only going to see somebody maybe like once in the summer. Uh, but it's been really unique because of COVID. And as I've been meeting with people, I've just really noticed uh, a pretty consistent word, and the word is tired. And I don't mean physically tired. It's like somehow they're sleeping more, but more tired. And I told Katie the other the other night, uh, I, just, I always try to think of words as the songwriter inside of me. And I always think of lyrics for songs, and so I was thinking this was it. It's it's the kind of tired that keeps you up at night. That's the kind of tired I think we are. I think it's more like weary. And I've just kind of noticed that around us, this sense of weariness. And so I really want to tell you today that I've come to encourage you. And I've come to say that there is a beauty and a peace and a rest to walking with Christ. And that as I share this morning, I'm going to talk about living in the light. And we're going to talk about some things that John really stands against and false teachers. And some of that can feel convicting. And we just feel like, oh, there's just more stuff and more brokenness. But can I tell you, my goal by the end today is that you might recognize just how deep God loves you. And just how much he cares for you. And just how much he desires for you to have a full life. And so since I know many of you, you're tired you're weary, you're watching online, you're like, man, I, I, I'm just weary. I, I'm an at-risk person, and we love you. Those of you who you're just not physically able to be with us, we love you. And you're like, man, I'm just weary of not being able to see people. I want you to know that we love you, we care for you, but I want to encourage you today with the love of Jesus that he loves you more than you could ever know. So I want to pray for you before we begin. And my prayer is this, that today God would give you a deeper revelation of his love for your life. That you would be encouraged today. So let me pray for you before we begin. God, you see every heart here today. You know every person. And God, you see and you sense the weariness in our nation, in our city, in our church, online, in the seats here in Scottsdale. It doesn't escape you. It doesn't surprise you. It doesn't overwhelm you. And so I pray today, God, as we go through your word, I pray for an encouragement. I pray for a joy. I pray for a celebration. I pray for an awakening of dreams that have been dead maybe for years. I pray for a stirring of a heart that feels hopeless. I pray for a uniting and a resurrecting of the things that feel like they have broken and fallen away. I pray for an encouragement. I pray for a renewed hope. I pray over those right now who feel like time is flying by and they're missing crucial things in their life right now. I pray that you would just put a peace in their heart this morning, that you would remind them of the depth and riches of your love, the purpose that you have for their life, 
the mission you have for their life, the calling you have on their life. God, I pray that you would lift them up and strengthen them in your love. I pray just for a deep revelation of your love this morning over every life, God, a deep revelation of how much you care for them, a deep revelation of how much you cherish them, a deep revelation and a revealing of how much you desire to walk with them in the light, with them in the fullness of life. God, we know the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God, you came and you are here this morning to encourage us and say, listen, I came to bring you a full life. And though the situation might seem dark, though there seems to not be a day on the calendar when all this is over, we might even get to 20. We Nobody knows when all this is done. I came to bring encouragement to say that you have a full life, that you have a fullness of relationship with God, that he deeply desires to love on you regardless of your background, regardless of where you came from, regardless of what you're sitting in right now. He came to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm going to bring you joy instead of depression. I'm going to bring you hope instead of darkness. I'm going to bring you life instead of death this morning. And so, God, I pray you would encourage every heart as we open up your word. And, God, it's a strong word. It's a strong word this morning that John shares. It's got some tough stuff in it. But, God, we know you're going to encourage our hearts because in the end, we have the love of Jesus Christ. And we give it to you in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate the Lord this morning and thank our worship team? Awesome. Awesome. Great job, worship team. I, I, love, I love that song. Man, what a, raise a hallelujah. Just when I think I've, like, heard that song too many times, I'm like, man, I've heard this song a lot. Every time it just gets me. Just one of those, it just goes. It's so on because it's so true. We just, we're in a season of needing to prophesy and believe for the things that are unseen in our city and our nation. People say, ma'am, it just doesn't, I can't see the end. I'm like, great. This is the perfect time to reawaken the heart for prophecy in the church and speaking and believing things as they are promised in scripture, not as we see them with our eyes. Different sermon, but it's fine. Uh, today, I want to share a sermon with you called Live in the Light. Live in the Light. How many of you uh, really like light? That's a really dumb question. Of course, everybody likes light. Uh, uh, I know some of you guys, you're night owls. You enjoy uh, maybe sitting in the dark, maybe playing some video games, maybe going out late. You enjoy the vibe. It is a different vibe. Uh, but I, I enjoy light. That is one thing I think we have in excess here in Arizona is light. People are like, what is there a lot of in Arizona? Heat and light. And it turns out they're related because they come from the burning hot ball of fire in the sky. <laughs> uh, but I, I really... I think light is important. Light has been a metaphor, really, um, as long as uh, light and darkness has existed. They've kind of existed metaphorically, because I think we routinely understand them, and we understand them at kind of their base, fundamental level. Um, and we live in this um, kind of juxtaposition and this balancing act of light and dark. I'll give you an example. Uh, have any of you ever gotten dressed in the dark, only to show up at work maybe looking like a toddler. Cool, just me. Moment of honesty. When I worked in the dairy section of Safeway, I would get dressed in the dark, and I would go to work at 3 a.m. Uh, to pull things of milk and put them in the milk holders. I don't know. I probably, you could tell how good at my job I was. <laughs> um, but I would get dressed in the dark, and at Safeway they had a dress code, and I would often miss that dress code because of the darkness, and I would show up wearing like two different color shoes, or maybe like a gray pair of pants, or like the wrong pair of pants. But I was only getting paid like six dollars an hour, so I don't, 
you know, I cared, but not like go back home and change cared. Um, but light revealed the truth of how good I did, right? And so if I didn't do well, I would go back into the milk section. I would hide. Why? Because uh, though I did something in the darkness, it wasn't until I got into the light that it was like, oh, okay, this is actually what happened. Why? Because the light reveals things. I'll give you another one. I'm pretty convinced my children are trying to kill me. And I'm going to explain. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to pause for dramatic effect, though. Dramatic. Um, here's why. Because during the day, my kids leave toys out. But there is something about how they leave toys out at night. I don't know when they do it. They're like little elves. They sneak out. And instead of helping the cobbler make shoes, they put Legos strategically around my home. And uh, like those, those metal water bottles that every child has, uh, that if you have siblings, they wield as weapons against each other. I don't know why we buy them like we're going to go to space. They're so huge. And um, they leave those sideways on the floor because, heaven forbid, they just stand it up or put it away. I don't know when they learned that. 13? I don't know. Not six, I'll tell you that. Um, so they, they leave them sideways on the ground, and what they do is they call out at night, and I think it's a strategy. I don't know. We'll see. They call out at night for some reason, and then we come running. Now, in the day, I can, you know, I can juke this stuff. It's on there. You know, the, the, they have like a bag of blocks that they never play with, but they always dump out. That's a boy thing, I think. Um, and I can dodge that stuff, hit it with a spin move, you know. But at night, I can't see any of this. My house is pitch black at night. I, I don't know why we don't, like, keep a light on, but we just like to make our life more difficult, maybe. Um, but I have to go sprinting through my house because no kid cries at night like, hey, I'm okay, but if you have the time, come and get me. They all cry like they've just, I don't know, something has exploded in their room, right? Uh, and so we go running, and usually it's the smallest thing strategically placed, like a Lego, and you will hit that thing, and I have pretty smooth floors, and it's going to do one or two things. It's going to send you into a half split, you know, where one leg stops and the other leg goes. You know what I'm talking about. Or you're just going to take it right into the heel and just die of pain right there. And then I'm, the kid's crying, I'm crying, Katie's crying, laughing at me. You know, it's like a whole thing. Uh, then I'm angry. You know, it's a process. Um, but in the day, I can avoid it. Why? Because it's blatantly easy to see. And it's funny how little things done in darkness can have such a dramatic effect in, when in the light, they're super easy to avoid. Like in, there's just something about small things in the dark that, that, that make uh, a huge difference, right? And so my kids, they plan all this out. But if I get it in the day, then I'm safe and I've survived another day. I think they might be going for my will. You know, I don't know. Uh, but this idea of light is important because light illuminates. Light brings clarity. Light, in, in the fundamental sense of it being light, helps us see. And so light has existed for a long time, and this idea of something in darkness and something in light have different avoidability, possibility. They have different potential. They have different actions. That's like why if you are, you know, a ninja or a spy and you're doing some, you know, something you know, that, that you don't want people to see. You don't do it in broad daylight. Like, there's no Navy SEAL movie where they're, like, sneaking in under the cover of noon, right? It's, it's always night, right? It covers it, whereas light illuminates. And so what John is writing here is this idea of 
that we were once in darkness, but now we're in light. And he's trying to present this idea of moving from a place of hidden, moving from a place of destruction, moving from a place of problems, moving from a place of, uh, of difficulty, of unseen things, of obstacles, of tripping, of possible harm, moving into a place of clarity, wisdom, and vision. And so in 1 John, if you brought your Bible, go to 1 John verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 5. And it's titled, Walking in the Light. And John makes this really clear statement at the beginning. In verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him, meaning Jesus, and proclaimed to you, meaning the church, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And there's, there's lots of metaphors like that, like a single, you know, flame match can light up a whole cave. You know, right? like we understand light is power. But he's not saying that God has light. He's saying that God is light. That's an interesting image. He is light. What does he mean? Well, the word light that he's sharing is here. He said God is light. There is no darkness. He's saying God is righteousness. This idea of light, as it's described here, and light, light is used lots of different ways, but he's using it here specifically saying God is completely holy. And when he's saying there's no darkness within him, it's not like he doesn't have a shadow or something like that. He's saying that there is no imperfection within him. There is no sin. There is no evil. That God is completely perfect. And so John is setting up this metaphor that everyone can kind of understand light and darkness. If I said like, you know, you do something in the dark or you do something in the light, you would understand, I think cross-culturally, fundamentally, the idea of something hidden, of something in the dark. And so he's presenting this idea saying, God is light. In him, there's no darkness. Perfection, holiness. Why is he making this claim? It's because John is importantly in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John trying to clarify false teaching. First John, he's trying to clarify it for all the church. Second John, he's trying to clarify it to a specific church. And third John, he's trying to clarify it for a very specific person. Because there were false teachers at the time who were trying to corrupt the message of the church. And you got to think this is early church, right? Like, they, they didn't have uh, necessarily the, the, the New Testament composed like we have it right now. They didn't have a printing press. Everyone had it. They didn't have it on their phone. They didn't have phones. Pretty obvious. Uh, but most importantly, there are all these false teachers who he sometimes calls antichrist. You're like, well, antichrist? I didn't know there was that kind of church. You watch that Kirk Cameron movie where everyone disappears. Well, let me explain. There is, there is the antichrist, and then there are antichrists. You're like, that's the same thing. Well, not quite. One's capitalized. Um, <laughs> but antichrist is literally what it means to be anti. Christ. I know it sounds scary because maybe someone like scared you in a sermon with it. Like Antichrist. Or maybe they like said somebody you voted for was the Antichrist. So then we just like attach this imagery. But Antichrist, pretty, pretty obvious term. It's a pretty obvious term. It's anti-Christ. Anti who Christ was, what he did, what he was about. So if they were denying the resurrection, there's all kinds of things. Denying resurrection, denying forgiveness of sin, denying that, you know, he truly was Christ, that he truly was God. So they were anti him, anti-Christ. And so John, in these three books, part of his message is to call out uh, these false teachers and kind of set up a defense, because what was happening is these false teachers were co-opting the message of Jesus Christ. I know this never happens today, but, you know, they were co-opting the message of Jesus Christ to fit personal and political motiv motivations. 
I know it's not relevant at all to current culture, but bear with me, and I guess we'll, we'll, we'll circle around to it, right? They, they were co-opting this idea, and they were inputting bad theology and false theology into it, and then they were going around teaching people, saying, like, we're teachers of the law, we represent Jesus, and he says this, and John is like, remember, he was a son of thunder, so he's, he's a tough dude. Uh, now he's like a gentle older man, but he's saying, listen, we need to counter this ideology because you are children of light. And so in 1 John, there's two major sections. God is light. That's the first section. God is love, the second section of John. It's divided kind of in half. And each time, he circles back around to make his point. So the book of John kind of moves like this. So if you're like, man, he said this. It's like, yeah, because he's making a statement. He's clarifying it. He's making a defense and a rebuttal, and he's returning back. It's very smart. It's very well written, and he's circling around as he moves, and there's two sections. God is light. God is love, and so John is beginning to set this up to say, listen, there are people who are going to want to complicate and co-opt the message of Christianity to fit their own means, but I desire for you to walk in the fullness of the relationship of Jesus Christ that I personally have experienced, so let me just clear the air so that you can live encouraged and strengthened and not confused and unclear. Anyone think we need a season of clarity in our, in our nation? Amen. Me too. I'm going to read this scripture. 1 John 1, 6. It says this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, remember God is light. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's what they were claiming. There's two claims. This is the first one. They were claiming that they were walking in the light while still walking in sin. Now, this is not the claim of perfection. That's actually going to come in a moment, which is ironic. That would be hypocrisy. <laughs> but they were claiming to be teaching, to be guiding, to know God, to teach for him. But they were living in a way that didn't align at all. It's kind of like, have you ever been to a movie or watched a movie? This happens to us when we watch Hulu, where the words, the, uh, the voice and the mouth are not matching. And so, like, it's behind a little bit. It's like one of those old kung fu movies. It's like, go get them. You know, it's like... It's just not right. And so, like, you tell yourself, mm, I can watch this. I can make this work. But, like, five minutes in, you're like, I can't handle this. Turn it off. Right? Because why? Because the words and the actions do not match. I mean, that's none of us here. We'd never do that. But you might know somebody that's done that. Right? Is that the words and the actions are not matching. He says, they say they're in the light but their actions are in the dark. They say they're speaking on behalf of God and His holiness, but their actions, they're not, they're not holy. And he says, because they're in darkness, they're not practicing truth. Here's another word. I find that as a pastor, I'm more and more having to define uh, words, biblically, because culture... My opinion is doing a terrible job defining words. So biblically, the biblical definition of truth is not facts. It is the incarnate Christ, 
Jesus Christ manifests in this John sense. Now, truth is used in different ways in, in Scripture, but specifically in John here in this letter, he's talking, when he says truth, he means Christ incarnate. Truth is not something you know per se in the John sense. It's something you receive, you enter into it by faith, you submit to it, and you live by it. See how that's kind of unique? So truth is a, is a lifestyle, if anything. We're told in the scripture that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he's the life. And so these guys, they were claiming to serve Jesus, but they were still standing in darkness. It's kind of like this. Um, how many of you have ever like canoed or kayaked before? Okay, good. It was like one person in first service, so them and I just had a chat for a while. <laughs> um, but if you've ever uh, canoed or kayaked, you know that it's hard to stand in a kayak. It's hard to stand in a canoe. We have that one friend who, for some reason, you're like, don't stand up. They're like, ah, oh, it's going to be so fun. They always do. Um, how hard is it to stand in a kayak now, just, or a canoe? Now just imagine standing with one foot in and one foot on the water. What's your success rate? Zero percent. Unless you have, like, the jacked core and you're just there, like, so perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm sure someone's done it. I've seen American Ninja Warrior. Um, but for us normies out here uh, who, you know, me, got that COVID-15, um, for us, we can't do that. I don't have the, the leg core or the stomach core or the chest core. Was it in the Marine Corps? That's for my office friends. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> can't do it. And that's his concern. He's saying you're living this terrible balancing act. You're living this terrible balancing act, half in, half out. And I know everyone thinks, like, yeah, this is, this is the pastor thing. This is what you say. Oh, you're not living fully for Jesus. You're going to da-da-da. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not here to convict you. I'm here to say, man, my heart aches for those that are in that gap, just like John's heart aches for those who are in that gap, because you're missing out on the blessing that is the fullness of walking in the light with Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you about my friend Jesus, not to yell at you about the Bible, right? I'm here to tell you about the Jesus that I know and love who has got me through some of the worst times in my life. But if I had been a foot on the canoe and a foot in the water, I would just be drowning right now. I'm here to tell you about Jesus Christ who restores and renews and lifts up and lifts my head when I feel like I'm underwater, who encourages me when I'm feeling discouraged, who gives me dreams and visions, who through the power of the Holy Spirit, I've seen healing and restoration and families restored and lives restored. That's Jesus. And that's what John is saying. Listen, these people are robbing you. They say they're walking in light, but they're walking in darkness. And he says, it's time to walk in light. What does walk in light mean? It means we've got to bring our sin before God and say, God, I follow. He's, John's saying, you can't live two lives. You can't serve two masters. You can't pursue two different things. You've got to be in that striving pursuit with God and say, God, I, I, I'm going to surrender and submit my heart to you. And it's so amazing to me. He says this in verse 7. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say we have fellowship with God. Why? Because fellowship is relationship centered on God. 
the fruit of living in the light, of living with God, of pursuing God, is fellowship with others. Real fellowship with God is expressed in real fellowship with others. Now, what I'm not saying is if you're trying to develop relationships and friendships and you don't have them, then you must not love the Lord. Like, really important that I clarify that. It's hard right now in this world with COVID. It's hard to develop relationships because, like, who are you going to hang out with? Whoever lives at your house. <laughs> That's who you're going to hang out with. So if you live alone, you've got a small list. So I'm not saying that if you don't have friendship, you're not walking with God. What I am saying is that at some point in your life, the fruit of fellowship with God should be a desire and a longing for fellowship. He's addressing something that they're teaching. I love God, but I don't love his church. This is what he's addressing. It's a false theology. We're like, I love God. Oh, yeah, I love the Lord, but I'm not involved in the church body at all. Well, you're going to be bummed when you read what God has to say about the church then because he's a big fan of it. <laughs> like, it's his bride. It's important. And you're like, well, but the church is so broken, and the church has hurt me. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that I receive and have empathy for your hurt because I, too, have been hurt by a church. I have left a church. I have left ministry. I have given up on things. So, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to go be an architect. I'm sick of people dumping on me. I've never had a profession in my life where so many different people thought I cared so little while making so little caring for so many people. It's like, you don't care for, like, okay, apparently not. Go somewhere else. I understand being, being hurt, being wounded, but can I tell you that there is beauty in fellowship with one another? And God says, and John is trying to say, listen, the false teachers are trying to divide you because they're selfish. But Jesus came to unify you because he's loving. To say, I, I, I know you've been hurt. I know you've been hurt by church. I know you've been hurt by people. Jesus has been hurt by people. Jesus has been hurt by Christians. His own disciples. But he's saying, listen, if you pursue me, there's fellowship, and there's a beauty in that relationship. Don't miss out on true fellowship. Don't miss out on the power of true cleansing through Jesus Christ that it says forgiveness of sins because you just won't step into the light. You're like, I know, but if I step into the light, people are going to see some stuff in my life. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what they see. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters what you and Jesus see together walking. It matters what you and Jesus do. You're like, people are going to judge me. Yeah, man, that's going to happen regardless. People just love to judge people. I don't know what to tell you. But listen, when you step into the light with Jesus, there's forgiveness and restoration. These false teachers are trying to rob people of that. So here's what he says, 1 John 8, or 1, 8, I'm sorry. It says, if we say we have no sin, here's their second claim, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. So the first claim was that they were in the light even though they were in the darkness. The second claim is kind of a collection of two. They claim to have no sin and they claim to not have sinned. Now that sounds kind of like they claim to have never sinned, but really it, 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 it's a change. It, they're claiming to... Um, be living in a way that requires something different. Let me explain. Uh, there was an article in 1992. This is 20, over, well, 30 years ago, forever ago. And uh, <laughs> there was an article in 1992 that was written, and it talks about this in the church, and it's amazing to see. It's kind of prophetic because it's kind of talking about the course of modern Christianity. Here's what they said. 
What many have left behind is a pervasive sense of sin. Although 98% say they believe in personal sin, only 57% accepted the traditional notion that all people are sinful, and fully one-third allowed that they, quote, make many mistakes but are not sinful themselves. Said one typical respondent, the day I die, I should only have to look up at my maker and say, take me, not forgive me. So here's what the false teachers were teaching. I prayed a prayer, so now it doesn't matter how I live. Because I, I did the thing, you know, I went to youth camp, I got the prayer, they're like, come forward, and I was like, woo, and I came forward, and I cried, and I said the prayer, I did the thing, so now it doesn't matter how I live my life, because, like, I'm in, I'm in the book, I'm in the heaven, you know, I mean, like, I'm in, it doesn't matter what I do, and John was like, what? You can't earn it, but I, I do think it matters how you live your life. I do think that holiness matters. Can I tell you this morning, holiness matters. And we say, well, that's kind of a bold claim. I have no sin. I don't know if people make that claim. People make that claim all the time. We just change the wording a little bit because we don't like to own things culturally. Like, we get so hurt. Like, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're like, well, that kind of seems like a lie. If you tell somebody they said a lie and just like, well, I don't feel like you're telling me the truth. If you, tell, if you say the word lie, like, I feel like, I feel like you lied to me. They, what do they say? Are you calling me a liar? It's like, well, if a duck quacks, <laughs> you know, might be a duck. But we don't like that. Like, that's not my identity. We have that song, I know who I say I am. It's like, yeah. It's like, you are, you are who God says you are. Uh, one of the things God happens to say we are, give me grace here, is a sinner. Okay? Grace. If you're watching online, you just clicked away. I'm sorry. You'll come back because it's true. <laughs> I, I believe it. That we are, we're many things. We're his child. We're beautiful. We're precious. We're made new. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, right? Where we're many things. But one of them is that we are actually people who sin, but we don't like that. So we come up with other, other words that make things sound better. Like, I had an affair. That to me is like, you're writing a book on like, I don't know, French chateaus. Like, oh, he had an affair in the summer of 1876. You sinned. Like we say, well, I just got really frustrated and I let my temper get the best of me. It's like, no, I sinned, right? We can call it what we want, but if I yell at my kids, which I have done, so there we go. I'll just pick one for myself so you don't feel like I'm judging you. <laughs> Is that like, that's sin. The avoidance and, the, and not giving love or justice to people, that's sin. But we're like, oh yeah, but if you say I've sinned, then you're saying I'm a sinner. And I'm like, yeah. But we just feel differently about that phrase because I don't feel like a trash human being because I'm a sinner. How? <laughs> How? Because I know the light and I know Jesus. I know what Jesus has done for me. And I know what he continues to do for me. And I know the freedom that's found from him. And the hard part is we have this kind of pick-and-choose Christianity that we think is benefiting our soul, but it's actually removing the freedom that Christ longs for us to have. You know, it's like we have this farmer's market of biblical principles. And we go through with our little basket, we're like, 
Yes, summer squash. Yes, uh, integrity. Yes, you know, fidelity or whatever it might be. We got to go through truth, yes. But they're like, ah, I don't like that one. I'm going to leave that there. That's not going to go in my basket. And we think that that's benefiting us, but it's robbing us of the beauty of living with Christ. It's making us miss it. We say, well, surely this can't be sin. If God was loving, then he wouldn't, this wouldn't be sin. Let me, let me change that and say, if God was loving, he would say that is sin. But since you can't pay the debt of that sin, I will send someone to be the sacrifice for you to pay the debt of that sin. So that in the end, when God judges the earth, when there's a reality and judgment for the sin that separates us from the perfectness of God, that instead God will see the blood of Jesus Christ and that you will be covered. Love doesn't say, I'm going to ignore the things that destroy you. Love says, I'm going to take your place, take that destruction onto myself so that you might have life. That's the love of Jesus Christ for you. And so John is passionate about writing it because he's saying, listen, I spent time with Jesus. I was there when he was crucified. I was there when they hung him on the cross. I looked him in the eyes as he died, and I saw him when he rose again. And I'm here to say the sacrifice was too great, and the love is too infinite to ignore living a baseline fake truth that robs you of eternity. He said, I've come that you might live in the light, that you might live in promise, that you might have a bold future. The enemy has taken enough years from you in the darkness. It's time to live in the light and the fullness and the promise of God. So he gives this kind of bold response in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2. If you have your Bible, just jump there real quick. If not, it'll be on the screen. And he starts it off by saying, my little children. And I love this phrase. I kind of picture it like this. Put yourself in a mindset. Uh, if you have kids, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do about my kids using any kind of social media. Because, like, every time I turn around, there's some article about uh, older men luring young girls on the Internet. And I'm like, well, I just, you're just never going to have the Internet. But that seems unlikely, <laughs> given that it's 2020. So I think of it like this. I think of it being a conversation where somebody has been teaching false things to my kid. And so I'm going to sit down with them, and I'm going to say, listen, Lucy, we need to talk. There's going to be a firmness, but there's going to be a gentle understanding of, in the long run, my desire is that you would be encouraged and empowered and strengthened. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to say, how could you do that? How could you believe that? I'm here to say, listen, man, there's something better than this. So I want us to read in that tone. Man, there's something good for your life. You with me? Amen? Amen. Okay. It says, 1 John 2, 1. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Stop there. What a phrase. I'm writing to you so that you do not sin. Okay, good luck. <laughs> right? And they're like, that seems like a really hard line to measure up to. Would you imagine getting that letter? Like, hey, brother, I'm writing to you today. I'm texting you today so that you will not sin. Be like, well, I got some bad news for you, pastor. <laughs> right? But that's because we see it as a measuring line, not as a passionate pursuit. That's the difference. We see it as a measuring line. Well, I sinned today, so I didn't measure up to the line, so I'm out. That's not what it is. It's an aim. It's a goal. It's desire. My desire is to be a good husband. 
the fact that I make mistakes as a husband and feel like some days that doesn't mean I give up desiring to be a good husband. Like, well, I'm never going to be a perfect husband, so I'm never going to try to be a good one. Like, well, that seems kind of like weird, but the same thing's true with Christ. We will never be perfect. We're not striving to be perfect. We're striving after God in the sense of striving is maybe the wrong word. We're following God. But he says this. This is amazing. He says, I'm writing these things so you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, which you all will, <laughs> we have an advocate with the Father, who is that Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I love that. He's saying, listen, I know you're going to sin. You know how I know that? Because I literally lived with Jesus. We were BFFs. We had the, the necklace that broke out into the separate hearts that we won in Galilee at the fair when he did ski ball. And um, we broke it. If you're like one of those people that doesn't have a sense of humor, don't email me later mad about this. And we broke off the necklaces and we get together. We like link them up and be like, you know, I don't know, activate. I don't know whatever they would say. Right? He's like, we were friends. We were buds. Like, I knew him. He's like, I knew Jesus. When you say you sin against Jesus, you're thinking someone far off. Like, I, I know him. Like, I knew what he smelled like. I knew what his clothes looked like. Like, I was there. Like, and I still sinned. And if I still sinned and need the grace of God, and he was like my bud, like, I know you're going to do it. But good news, shame is not your master saying, we have an advocate in Jesus. He's already paid the price. You don't have to hide in shame. This is the thing I find in so many people I meet with. They say, I, I have sinned. I've made a mistake. What do I have to do to get back with Jesus? And I'm like, you're back. Like, <laughs> Mr. Miyagi, <you're> like, <laughs> ta-da, right? We think, we think, that there must be punishment. You ever thought that? You're like, no, I've never. Oh, I've thought it. Okay, I sin. Now I need to give out 100 sandwiches before I can be back with Jesus. Now I need to say this many prayer loops on the beads, and I need to, you know, maybe get myself on the back with like a stick. Really show Jesus that I'm sorry. Jesus is like, whoa, man. That's, that's not the thing that we do. It's not about punishment. It's not about punishment. Shame, fear, those are things related to punishment. Love is not related to punishment. God is not here to punish us. The beauty of the relationship with Jesus is that we don't have to crawl back to him. We don't have to prove ourselves to him. The prodigal son my favorite part of the prodigal son is he comes in and he tells his father, he's worked up this whole speech. He's worked up this whole thing. He's going to tell him, I'll serve in the kitchen and I'll sweep the floor and I'll clean up poop, whatever. It's. And he literally, if you go back and read it, the father interrupts him halfway through and he's like, go get a robe and let's throw a party. We can't, we, it's hard for us to get there because maybe someone taught you or told you that you got to like punish yourself in order to, to come close to Jesus. And Jesus is instead like, let's slaughter a cow and have a barbecue. And you're like, this seems wrong. I thought I was supposed to like not be involved and be sad and come to church and sit in the back and have everybody know my sin, but never really have relationship or build a future. And then I was just supposed to like maybe eventually like lead a small group. Then once I did that, then I'd be close to the Lord. Like, nope, Jesus desires today today, this very moment, to have relationship with you, and there's nothing that is in the way of that except when we choose shame to be in the way of that.
Can I tell you, there are too many bitter, exhausted, tired, worn down, shameful people that feel like everyone's judging them for their life mistakes. They come to church, they're like, I sit by myself because, you know, no one's like me and everyone judges me and I don't know what to think. And I'm like, man, you know what? Would you just accept that God loves you? Yeah, but no, but your butt. God loves you. God loves you. God cares for you. The beauty of the relationship with Jesus is you're called to walk in the light. He knows that you're going to fail and fall. And he says, guess what? I've already sent an advocate for you so that you can walk in love and freedom and power of the Holy Spirit. This is the fullness of life. Not that we are perfect, but in weakness, God's grace is made perfect through us. Following Jesus is not about man becoming perfect to be near God. It's about a perfect God coming to be near man through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. John says, don't let these people trick you. Don't let them make it. I mean, could you imagine if you're a young Christian, you're told, hey, this is Jesus. You're like, wow, this changed my life. And someone comes around and says, yeah, uh, we're amazing, and I need to tell you uh, that you know, it doesn't really matter how you live, what you do, anything like that. We're just going to do whatever. You'd be like, yeah, well, then what's the point? Shouldn't it be different? Shouldn't it be without shame? Shouldn't it be with hope and life? Like, if there's not transformation, if there's not renewal, like, why are we even here? Why are you here on July 5th? Go home. But can I tell you, the love of Jesus transforms life. And if you step back and go, man, it has not transformed my life. It is not transforming my life. Then today is a great day to submit your heart to Christ and be renewed again because it should be transforming your life. John says, since you are children of light, it's time to walk in the light. And though you're going to fall, you have an advocate who picks you back up and says, let's continue to walk in the light. So the big question then is how do we walk in the light? If we, how do we break out of the metaphor, so to speak? Just like, well, always keep a lamp with you and maybe your iPhone flashlight. No, it's, it's more. They've got to break out the metaphor. So practically in our life, how do we walk in, our, in the light? First thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, I don't know, try it. Write it down. First thing, repent. You're only going to remember seven things from this morning because of short-term memory. Make these three, like, I don't know, almost half of what you remember. You can remember how good the coffee was, how nice uh, the people welcoming you were, how amazing kid space was, and these three things. Uh, repent. I know when I say repent, immediately we freak out. Here's what First John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of my favorite verses, Luke 5, 32. Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank goodness, because I am they. When we hear the word repentance, uh, I, I think, I don't know when it was. I'm sure I'll, I could spend some time researching it. I'm not sure when that became like the Christian. Uh, it was like a scary word, repent. Repent, repent. And it became this like, terrifying word, but it's, it's, that's a blessing for us, repentance. Repentance is, that, that should be a good thing for us as, as people who follow Christ, because repentance is amazing. Repentance literally means to change one's mind, to, to change the direction of our affection and of our heart, to change the way that we're thinking. Repentance is actually a really good thing. Repentance is, I need a Savior, 
God, would you change my thinking, my understanding away from uh, how I have lived in pride and selfishness towards you? It's kind of like David prayed, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Repentance is saying, change me, transform me. Confession, which is one of those words, confession is, is, is speaking aloud, it is saying, I have done this. Repentance is saying, okay, I've said that, now, God, I need you to direct me. I don't want to stay in this mode, in this life. And for us, I think that's a benefit. Wouldn't it be a really terrible faith if you confessed your sins and then basically everyone just judged you for those till you died? That wouldn't be very nice. <laughs> Repentance in the church is supposed to free us and create better unity because we repent. And when I lay it at the cross, no one else in the church gets to pick it back up for me. It's there at the cross. And I pray, God, would you change my thinking in my mind? Repent is a big one. We're called out of the dark to walk in the light. But in order to do that, we got to say, God, if there's any way within me that's leading me over here, I don't want to be half in, half out. God, would you direct me? And guess who that is between? You can confess to one another. That's biblical. But you repent to one, and that's to God. God, you have my heart. I repent. Change my thinking. Are you still with me? Okay. Second thing. Repent. How do we walk in the light? We follow the teachings of Jesus. 1 John 2, 3 through 4. If we keep going in that scripture, it says, uh, by this we know that we have come to know him. This is how we know. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Man, you can really get that Sons of Thunder thing a little bit still in John. It's like, can you just softball it in? I mean, we've already kind of heard the word liar like six times. <laughs> like, maybe ease this one in, underhand it to us here. But uh, John is, he's serious about this because it's about eternity. Can I just say we overcomplicate church? As a pastor, I know you're like, wait, wait, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to introduce a new system. No, I think we over we overcomplicate church. I think that we have this idea that we have to earn something spiritually before God can do something through us supernaturally. We gotta like prove something before God can do something in our life. And we say things to kind of tell ourselves that that's not true. Like God used a donkey, He can use me. But I don't know if we believe that, right? We think like, mm, God can use Katie. She's got this dope outfit, and she's super spiritual. Every day she gets up, and she reads her Bible, and she's praying. But, like, I don't know if God can use me. He doesn't know what I did on Friday. Like, well, A, he knows. <laughs> but two, that God is not a God of inability because of what we have done. When we are available, God is always able to do something amazing. I think we complicate it, but can I tell you, shame culture says that you are not enough for God. But Christ culture says you're all he wants. You're what he wants. He wants relationship with you. Yeah, relationship to do what? To be in relationship. I didn't marry my wife because she cooks well. That just happens to be a benefit of our relationship. I married her because I love her. But he says, there are those who say, I know him. I am in fellowship with him. And yet, he says, it's not lining up. They're not living in the truth. Why? Because they're saying, I know God, I know of him, but I'm not going to follow any of his teachings. Can I spoil something for you? If you say, I know Jesus, but you don't follow Jesus, you don't truly know Jesus. 
You might have been hurt by somebody like that. This is why false teachers are so, they must be rooted out. Because how many people have been hurt by somebody that said they knew Jesus, but did not act as Jesus? And we go, man, I've been hurt by the church. I'm like, yeah, you've been hurt by false prophets who have said, I know Jesus, and yet they have, they have hated other people and treated them poorly. Man, that's not Jesus. They have devalued people based off of a myriad of situations. That's not Jesus. See, to be Jesus, to, to live in the light means to follow the teachings of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Let's not overcomplicate it, church. What do we do? We should follow the teachings of Jesus. What about on Tuesday? We should follow the teachings of Jesus. What should we do? In the meantime, we should read the Bible and see what he teaches, and then we should do what he did, and we should follow what he followed. What do we do when there's COVID? We should follow the teachings of Jesus. What do we do when there's, when there's massive unrest, when there's, there's all kinds of things around our country swirling around, and it's going to get crazy or surprised? Like there's, it's, it, it's difficult in every nation to see the trend, but can I tell you that the answer and all of that kind of things is we're going to get into the Word and say, what does Jesus teach? And and then we're going to do that. What about this? Well, did Jesus teach it? No, then we're not going to do that. <laughs> That's the measuring line. What about saying this? Am I okay to say this? I don't know. If you go through your Bible and you can't find it, I was just not saying it. Even if it's a dope meme. I don't care how funny you are. If it's not from Christ, it's not from Christ. Some might say that is anti-Christ. I don't know, pick a side. But anyways, 1 John 2, uh, let's keep going because I want to read this part. It's so important. Uh, verse 5 says, Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. That's awesome. It says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay. We're called to follow the teachings of Jesus. What are those teachings? I want to read you one more scripture. In fact, man, you can come up this morning. As I read one more. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you. A commandment. That's, that's a big word. I think anytime scripture says a command, you might want to like underline that or at least remember that. It's not like a new strong suggestion if you get around to it. A new uh, commandment I give to you. The Jews would have really keyed into the word commandment. Ten commandments, strong commandments from the Lord. These were like kind of the non-negotiables. So let me tell you a non-negotiable of Jesus. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another... Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, that's strong. This commandment I give to you, that you love one another. There's the commandment. How do we love one another? Just as you feel like it. No, I read that wrong. My bad. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. Repent, follow the teachings of Jesus. Third thing this morning. Love others as Christ loves you. John is saying to walk in the light is to follow the commands of Jesus. And I know you're going to make mistakes, but praise the Lord. We have an advocate in Jesus who lifts us back up and allows us to walk in the commands of Jesus. And his command is to love one another as Christ loves us. He's, he's saying... You were not created to live in darkness. You were created to live in light. You were created to walk in light, to obey his commands. And what is his command? To love others as however you feel based off how nice they are to you. 
Love others as you feel like it, depending on if they vote similarly to you. No, he says, love others as Christ loves you. The other day we were hanging out with some people, and Randy was like, awesome. Oh, you are here. What's up? She had a WWJD bracelet on. I was like, man, I love that. We need that for every application right now. What would Jesus do? That's like a classic, but that it doesn't get old. Remember, everybody used to have those things. What would Jesus do? Some of y'all need what would Jesus meme? What would Jesus tweet? Like, some, you can make your own bracelet and tell yourself. What would Jesus say to your family member? It's such a simple thing. What would Jesus do? But isn't that so clear? Like that's, that just kind of like self-convicts. Like what, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus love right now in this culture? How would Jesus respond to inequality? How would Jesus care for those who are hurting? How would Jesus feel? How would he respond? What would he sacrifice? How would he care for others? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus care for those who are vulnerable in society right now? What sacrifices do you think he'd make? What kind of freedoms do you think he would cling to nationally? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? That's an important question. It's actually probably the most important question for people who follow Christ. Love one another as Christ loves you. How did Christ love you? With strength, with grace, with mercy, with sacrifice, with forgiveness. Can I tell you, this is why Christianity is countercultural. It's my favorite part of Christianity. It's like, it's not about aligning to a political party or doing, like, that's not why anything's countercultural. It's countercultural because daily we're desiring to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. And the, those fruits of the Spirit are countercultural. Self control, countercultural. Patience, countercultural. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, countercultural. Like, I wish there was a gentleness filter on Facebook. I'm just not falling in this filter. I'm not seeing it. Sorry, aunt, whoever. You're out. Gentle. It's manifesting these things. And this is what's so difficult is right now, I feel like we just don't know what to do with each other as a culture. You got to fall into a camp. Jesus was always prying himself away from camps. He was always prying himself away from zealots. He was always prying himself away from things to be like, I'm about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of so-and-so. But more and more, we don't know what to do. We're like angry. People are annoyed at each other. People are frustrated. They're yelling at each other in the street, on the internet, everywhere around. And people seem tired. They seem exhausted. But can I tell you something amazing? And this is why John is saying, listen, you're children of the light. It's because if you live in the fullness of the love of Christ, then you know this and you have the power to show this, that the love of Christ can transform lives. That the love of Christ can change lives. That the love of Christ can do a miracle in someone's life. That it can change their future. That can encourage them when they're downtrodden. The love of Christ has infinite potential. Even though we might feel powerless, weak, exhausted, beat down. It has amazing potential. And what's amazing about the love of Jesus, it can be shared on every platform that exists that is um, righteously able to be shared. There's certain websites that don't go on and share the love of Jesus. But the love of Jesus can be shared 
all around the world in a myriad of ways. You can share it in a Zoom meeting. You can share it in a phone call. You can share it by a gift, just sending someone flowers like, hey, sorry, I was over at SIP the other day. And the people there were crying because people had come in and yelled at minimum wage workers that, that they had to wear masks as if somehow they decided policy for, make, for wearing masks or as if that was, that was a reasonable thing to do. So I said, man, forget that. We're just going to give flowers to every one of your employees. Why? Because Jesus loves you. I'm like, you just tell me how many and when to deliver them. Because guess what? Jesus loves you. He loves you. He cares for you. And you know what? We can get creative. Even though, man, I'm tired. I get it. I'm with you. I'm tired. I, every week I got to pivot and see, like, you know, who's going to throw something. Like, I'm tired too. I'm with you. But the love of Jesus can change lives. You're like, man, I'm too exhausted to get on this big old mission. But let me ask you a question. Are you going to talk to any living human being this week? Because if the answer is yes, you have a powerful opportunity to present the love of Jesus to them. Powerful opportunity to love others as Christ loves you. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's keep it simple. Be good to someone this week. Be kind to someone this week. Be loved to someone. Pray for someone. Encourage someone. Speak life over them. Go into your room, even though you could never pray with them in person. They might not receive that. Just like, I'm just going to pray for, you know, this person this week. Here's what Philippians 2, 3 says. My last verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He doesn't hold back here, by the way. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on the cross. This is how Jesus loves. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The love of Jesus is powerful. John says, man, don't get deceived by these people because they're trying to keep you from living the fullness of the love of Jesus. And can I tell you, if you get a deeper revelation and you walk in the fullness that is the love of Jesus and you begin to experience his great love, releasing shame, releasing guilt, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking, being led by the Holy Spirit, seeing the gifts manifest in your life, seeing the fruit produced in your life, he's like, man, that's a full life. Don't let anybody trick you and take that from you. Because, man, if you get a hold of that, that's everything. That's why he, John just longs for us not to be deceived because he knows how beautiful a friendship with Jesus is. So walk in the light, walk in truth. Some of you this morning, you need to come into the light. It's time. It's time. It's not my light. It's not your neighbor's light. It's not the person next to you's light. It's the light of God. It's the fullness of God. And man, how, how many times have we been held back by decisions that will do a miracle in transforming our life because we are unsure and held back by shame and guilt and fear? And can I tell you, none of that exists in the light. Only freedom, only love, 
only joy. If you step into what you think is a light and you feel uh, attacked, if you feel judged, if you feel restricted, if you feel brutalized by anything, man, you're not in the light. We're going to get you into the light. You might feel convicted, but Jesus is calling you into the light, into his love, into his truth, to say, will you submit your heart and say, God, would you reveal your love to me today? Some of you, you're in the light. But if you're really honest, you would be like, man, this has been a tough season. But you also know that the love of God can transform lives. You feel like maybe because this has been a season of, of waiting, not going out, not going places, not meeting with people, and somehow your future's flying by and you're missing your purpose a little bit. You're like, God, what am I supposed to be doing? And God, I feel like just wants to restore to you today to say, man, what if your life was just marked by loving people with the love of Jesus? Loving people with the love of Jesus. What would that look like? Man, that's Banner Church. That's our goal. I want to pray for you. Would you stand up this morning with me? If you're in your living room or your kitchen, wherever you are, would you stand with us too? There's a great unity. That way you know you're standing, they're standing. We're all here. I know we got some people right now watching from Washington, kind of all over. I want to encourage you. Uh, stand with us. We're all one church family, one body, one spirit. And I want to pray two things for you. I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes this morning. I want to pray two things for you. The first thing is very clearly this. If you desire for that miraculous and powerful relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you've walked that journey before, but it's been a while. And you're saying today, maybe for the first time or again, I want that relationship with Jesus Christ. I desire for him to reveal the depth and riches of his love for me. I desire that I long for that. There's so much peace there. As the old is gone, the new has come. He can do a miracle in your life today. So I got a lot of bitterness, shame, anger. What am I going to do with that? You're going to give it to Jesus. He's going to take it. He's going to heal your heart. He's going to do a miracle. Maybe you made that choice, but because of um, maybe how people at a church have treated you, you right now are struggling in this moment. And you're watching online maybe, and you're like, I, I just struggle in this moment. Everything in me wants to click away. I'm gonna, I want to say right now, wherever you are, here or there, that you don't got to prove anything. You just have to lay your heart before Jesus, and God will embrace you and reveal his love to you. Reveal his love to you. Invite you in. If that's you this morning and you're saying, God, I need you to reveal your love to me. I want to walk in the victory that comes from you. I want to walk in that relationship. If that's you, here or online, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand this morning and put it back down. I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, I pray for those who have said, God, I need you just to reveal the depth and riches of your love to me this morning. God, I pray over their hearts right now. I pray that as they made that decision, God, you would just even now begin to reveal to them by the power of the Holy Spirit how much you care for them, how much you desire for them to have a full life. We know the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. So God, I pray this morning over every heart 
that it would receive a deeper revelation of your love. God, even those this morning who have already made that choice, I pray you would reveal even more of how you love them. Encourage them this morning. Say, you know what? I know you're discouraged right now. I know things look like they don't have an end date. I know that things look tough. I know that you're in the valley right now. I know that you feel surrounded, but I'm just here to tell you how deeply I love you and I care for you and that I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. God, remind them of your love this morning. Restore them and renew them and encourage them in your love this morning. Second thing I want to pray for as we close this morning. We're going to enter into worship after we pray together in this moment, but I'm going to pray something very specific over you, and it's this. If you're really desiring this morning to not only have a deeper revelation of God's love, but to more clearly pour out the love of God to others, I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to lift my hand actually as well. If you're saying, man, I just so clearly want to love others as God has loved me. I want to be merciful. I want to be bold. I want to be encouraging. I want to be compassionate. I want to, I want to reach people that nobody even wants to talk to. That's the kind of love of Jesus that I want. I want to just be just so passionate for others. Maybe for some of you, it's like, God, reignite that fire in my heart that I used to have. For you, that might be a re-stirring and a renewal. God, light that fire in me uh, this morning that I might love others as you have loved me. I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand with me this morning just as a sign of unity, united together. Lifting my hands as well. I'm always praying that God.